As Matt said, uh, we're having a prayer service this morning. It's an opportunity to pray, to be prayed with, to pray for each other, to pray for circumstances in your life, or pray for people in your life. And I think it'd be good if we prayed now, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we can address you with this extraordinary word of Father. You are the eternal God. You are the creator of everything. You are beyond our imagination. You are beyond anything that we can envisage, beyond anything that we've ever experienced in the depths of your love and your power and your greatness and your difference from us. And yet you invite us to call you Father. You invite us into a relationship where we are your children and you're our Father. So Father, please would you help us this morning as we think about prayer and as we engage in prayer. Would you awaken in us a desire to come to you, a confidence in your love for us, an appreciation, a greater appreciation of what you want to do for us and through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a line in what is almost certainly the most famous prayer in the Christian world at any rate, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the next line is, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. And I want us to think together about that phrase this morning, may your kingdom come, and ask what are we praying when we pray, may your kingdom come. Come. What is this kingdom? What does it mean for the kingdom to come? What are we being asked to do when we pray, may your kingdom come? What should we expect when we pray, may your kingdom come? In Luke chapter 4, in that passage Jill just read to us, which you'll find on page something or other, page 1029 in the Church Bibles, Luke chapter 4. Here Jesus in this, in this event in the synagogue, in the worship place, Jesus announces his manifesto. He's handed a passage from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. And he reads it out. And having read it out, he says, do you notice today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the passage is all about good news for the poor, release for the prisoners, about dealing with those who are oppressed, those who are blind, announcing the favorable 
day of the Lord. That's the announcement of Jesus' manifesto. What is it? Well, it's what he calls the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that what Jesus is announcing is not simply some kind of moral or spiritual reform. He isn't even coming to say, now you can have a personal relationship with God, as if people in the Old Testament, as we call it, didn't have a personal relationship with God. He hasn't come to say either, from now on when you die, if you trust in me, you'll go to heaven when you die. Both those things, a relationship with God, God is our Father, the hope of life eternal, of resurrection, of new creation, both of those are true and Jesus comes to bring them. But he comes to bring much more than that. Or perhaps another way of saying it is that those two things are much bigger than merely a personal relationship with God, important as that is, or hope for what happens when we die. Jesus comes to announce a new political order, a new economic order, a new social order, a radically new spiritual order, a new physical order. And it's all summed up in that little phrase or those phrases that he quotes from Isaiah. You see, this kingdom is in complete contrast to the age in which we live the age that Jesus has come to overthrow, an age that's characterized by exclusion and powerlessness. There are people who are poor. That's how our world works. And however much we work against it, it always defaults that way, doesn't it? So there are people who have no power, people who are limited in how much power. There are people who are oppressed, there are people who are imprisoned. And when he talks about the prisoners here, it's not talking about people who've been put in prison because they've murdered somebody or stolen. It's about people who are experiencing the injustice of this world. This is a world that's characterized by suffering. There are people who suffer emotionally, people who suffer physically, people who are blind, who are sick who are in despair about their life. There are people who are blind because they don't know where to go. They don't know where their life is going. They don't know which way to take. They are lost and hopeless. And Jesus comes to bring in a new era, a radical new era that he calls the kingdom of God. And we must never, never reduce that, limit it. It is a completely new era that affects everything. And so when we pray, may your kingdom come, that's the context in which we're praying. Do you see how enormous that is? May your kingdom come. There is a moment in Jesus' life, the climax of Jesus' life, when there is a confrontation between the kingdom that Jesus has come to bring in 
and the world as we know it, this era, this kingdom, what one of the writers of the New Testament calls the kingdom of darkness. There's a moment where these two kingdoms come head to head. And that moment is the cross, it's the crucifixion. And that looks to all intents and purposes as if it's a demonstration that the kingdom of Jesus loses and is overwhelmed by the kingdom of darkness. Because after all, the crucifixion is about the death of God, isn't it? By the way, what's going on in the crucifixion, amongst other things, is a demonstration of just how dysfunctional and how ultimately evil this era is. Because politics, religion, society, culture, history, everything conspires to this one thing to put Jesus to death. And Jesus is God present amongst us. That's how opposed the kingdom of darkness is. That's how bleak it is. That's how desperate it is. No wonder the people who are made in the image of God, that is human beings like you and me, will end up at some point or other likely on the wrong side of this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And so there on the cross, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Jesus come together. And who wins? Well, Jesus dies. But here's the thing. The crucifixion of Jesus is the foundational act of the kingdom of God. Isn't that extraordinary? The crucifixion is the worst thing. The greatest demonstration of the power of darkness. There is nothing that compares with that. What can you do that's greater than putting God to death? If I can put it like that. But that event of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the inauguration of the kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary? And the demonstration, the demonstration that that event of the crucifixion did really change everything is the resurrection. Why does the resurrection happen? Because Jesus died on the cross and there he conquered the age of darkness. Death was defeated in the death of Jesus. And the demonstration of that is the resurrection. And if that doesn't convince you, then Pentecost should. Because the day of Pentecost is where Jesus, having been executed, has been raised above all powers and all authorities, and he pours out the Spirit. The sending of the Spirit upon everybody, regardless of gender or background, that every single person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ receives the Spirit of God, the gift of the Spirit, the gift of the future. That happens because the foundational act to the kingdom of Jesus Christ is his crucifixion. So when we pray... May your kingdom come. That's the context in which we're praying. And there is, by the way, when Jesus announces the kingdom, 
It is both an invitation and a warning. The invitation is, this is good news. It's good news for the poor. It's good news for the oppressed. It's good news for those who are suffering. It's good news for those who are in despair. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom, and you can come, anybody, you can come and you can become part of the kingdom. It's an invitation, but it's also a warning because the age of darkness is condemned. So if you hang on to that, you'll go down with it. It's a warning to the oppressors. It's a warning to those who inflict injustice. It's a warning to anyone who says, I want to cling on to this kingdom because it's going down. And the sign that it's been defeated, the event that brings that about is the death of Jesus. So if you've been baptized, whether it was as a child or as an adult, your baptism is a citizenship ceremony that says, I pledge my allegiance to the kingdom of Jesus. That's what it's about. And that allegiance takes preference over everything else because the kingdom of Jesus is what I belong to, and that trumps every other kingdom. And so I'm a citizen of the kingdom. And that might mean that there's a conflict with some other concerns that I have and some other obligations. It may mean a conflict between the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of Australia. It may mean a conflict between the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of your family. It may mean a conflict between the kingdom of Jesus and some society that you belong to, some other commitments that you have. When you're baptized, you're saying, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. May your kingdom come. What are we praying for then when we pray? May your kingdom come. I want to look at two things, and then we're going to turn to prayer. May your kingdom come is not just, Lord Jesus, please would you come back. Jesus is coming back. The kingdom has been inaugurated. The foundational act has taken place. Everything has been done that needs to be done. And one day he's going to come back and bring in all the full implications of his victory on the cross. Evil will be wiped out forever. The kingdom of darkness will have gone. The new creation will come in. So when we pray, may your kingdom come, yes, we are praying, Jesus, please, would you come? We live in a sick world. We've heard about that. We live in an awful world in some areas. May your kingdom come as you return, Lord Jesus. But it's not just about that. You know, that's a really easy prayer to pray, isn't it? Because it doesn't involve us very much, does it? Lord Jesus, please come back. All over to you. See, the thing is that if you're a Christian, then you belong to the church, Jesus Christ. 
And the church is an outpost of the kingdom. And as members of the church, as the people of God, we are meant to manifest and bear witness to the existence of the kingdom. We are meant to bring the kingdom to people and to circumstances, to our community, to our friends, to our families, to our workplace, wherever we are. That's the call of the church. So when we pray, may your kingdom come, we're actually praying about here and now and you and me. As I go and speak to that person, may your kingdom come in that person's life. May they be set free. Some of you may have members of your family and you've been praying for them for years because they don't know Jesus or maybe that's something that's become a recent concern for you. They're lovely people but they don't know Jesus. To pray, may your kingdom come, is to pray, may your kingdom break into their life by the work of the Spirit, and may they turn in repentance and faith and come to life in Jesus Christ. May your kingdom come. And we're part of that. Because it's our responsibility to bear witness to the kingdom. You may have somebody you know who's not well. They're struggling with illness. And you're really concerned for them and you pray, may your kingdom come. Would you bring healing to them? Would you change their circumstances? Some people you know might be struggling. People you care deeply about. They're struggling financially. They're struggling emotionally. They're struggling spiritually. They're struggling in all kinds of ways. You're deeply, deeply concerned for them and you pray, may your kingdom come. Lord Jesus, would you, by the power of your spirit, break into their circumstances, into their life and change things. May your kingdom come. That's what we're praying. And we need to understand that. It's not just a phrase. It's not simply something that we can push off to the end of everything. Lord Jesus, come back. Sort it all out. You know, I just step back and wait for you to come. We pray, may your kingdom come as we go out into the world, into our families, into our circumstances, into our jobs, into our lives, and we pray as we go, may your kingdom come. That's what we're praying when we pray May your kingdom come. Bring your kingdom to bear in that person's life, in that circumstance. And when we pray that prayer, may your kingdom come, we pray it in two dimensions. Important that we understand, may your kingdom come in both dimensions. In, in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come is expanded, qualified, explained by the two next phrases. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven, in God's space? Do you think they quibble about it? Uh, God said something, Gabriel. Shall we do it? Well... I'm feeling a bit tired this morning. The angel choir have been busy. I've been a bit overworked. Uh, maybe we won't do it. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when we pray, may your kingdom come, we're praying, may it come perfectly. 
may come perfectly. Because that's how it comes in God's space. And that's why we need to understand that we pray, may your kingdom come in both a provisional sense as well as in the future sense. Let me explain what I mean. Let's suppose you're praying for somebody's healing and you pray, may your kingdom come. Would you do something in that person's life and heal them? Healing, if it comes, in answer to prayer, is always partial, provisional. Always. Let's suppose you pray for somebody, or we pray for somebody as a church, and their cancer goes away. They're in complete remission. Praise God. The kingdom has come, but it's only come in part. It's only a partial healing because they're going to die of something else. If you got that, the mortality rate, I keep saying this, the mortality rate is 100%. And there are generally three things that get people. Accidents, violence, or disease. <laughs> so something's going to get you. We don't have resurrection bodies in this life. So when we pray, may your kingdom come, and God answers graciously by, by changing somebody's circumstances, bringing healing to them. Remember, it's only partial. We always live with that sense of the provisional. And, and, and sometimes God doesn't heal people. Why doesn't he? There are people who claim to know the answer to that. And let me tell you that they're saying more than they know. We don't know why some people are healed and some people are not. What we can say is this. All healing is provisional because the resurrection of the body is future. God does not promise either to his people a get-out-of-jail-free card. If you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you're not going to fall sick. It really doesn't mean that. If God does heal you, it's because he wants that healing to be a manifestation of the kingdom, of the presence of the kingdom here and now. But sometimes what he wants you to do is to witness to the presence of the kingdom through suffering in illness. So why does God not heal all the time? I don't know. But even when he does, it's provisional. Do you see what I mean? That we pray in two dimensions. We pray in the dimension of the provisional, the here and now. The same is true of forgiveness. Do you know there's a sense in which our experience of forgiveness by God is provisional? Because you see, when somebody turns to Christ and believes in him and puts their trust in him, and as Paul puts it in Romans 8, there is therefore no, no condemnation for those in Christ. Yes, we should experience that freedom from guilt. But we don't experience the freedom from everything. There are things that we've done in the past and we still have the consequences of those even though we're forgiven. See, the declaration of forgiven is a future one. One day you and I will all stand in front of Jesus Christ as our judge. And we're going to have to answer to him. 
And the good news of the gospel is that we know what he will say on that day, which is not guilty. You're free. You're forgiven. And on that day, all the consequences of our sin will be erased, dealt with, taken away forever. In this life, our experience of forgiveness is always in some sense partial because there's a future element to it. And one of the reasons we should pray, as the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, is because the experience of forgiveness is partial. Some of you, you're Christians, you're followers of Jesus, and you're struggling with guilt. Why? Because our experience of forgiveness is partial, and that's one of the reasons why we need to come and say, may your kingdom come. May I experience that taking away of my guilt that I feel. Will you help me, Father, to deal with the consequences of things that I've done that I know you've forgiven me for because Jesus died for me, but I still struggle with the consequences of what I've done. They still impact on my life. There's always a provisional element. So we pray in that dimension, but there's also a future dimension. So if you're praying for somebody and praying for their healing, for example, you may pray, may your kingdom come, please bring healing. But you're also praying, not just for healing in the present, but may this person on the day of resurrection enter into the joy of Jesus with a new resurrection body where all tears are wiped away, all suffering is gone, where all guilt has been completely dealt with and the consequences of our sin we see how they've been turned by what God has done. May they experience that. We pray in two dimensions. May your kingdom come. Later on, there'll be an opportunity to pray and pray for members of your family, pray for friends. There may be somebody who's really on your heart, you're really concerned about, somebody you love. I want to encourage you to pray, may your kingdom come in that person's life. Praying for yourself. May your kingdom come. The other thing in the Lord's Prayer, you know, notice how it goes on. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew's version. May your kingdom come. And then, Lord, please would you provide? Because I need to get through life. <laughs> you know, I need physical sustenance. Would you provide for me? We're not very good at that in Sydney because there's coals. Or if you're really upmarket, you go to Woolworths. But we are entirely dependent upon our Heavenly Father. That's why it's important we pray a prayer like the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Give me what I need. As you go out into work tomorrow, into the circumstances of the week, Father, give me what I need. Give me the physical 
resources I need. Give me the emotional resources. Give me everything I need to be able to live for you because sometimes, Father, it's quite hard. Praying for physical things, praying for spiritual things. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We need to pray for freedom from guilt. That even though there are times, and we do, we mess up, it's called sin. It's not about mistakes, this is about sin. I need to know your forgiveness. I know that I am forgiven, but I need to experience that. And notice it's linked with as we forgive those who sin against us. Those two things go together. I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to forgive myself sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes I find it really hard to forgive myself. That needs to be dealt with. But I find it very hard often to forgive other people, don't you? It's easy to forgive other people who it's nice to forgive. It's been my experience. There are some people I really don't mind forgiving. There are other people I love not forgiving them. Am I the only one? You're so good. You're not telling the truth, though. We need to pray, Father, please would you help me to forgive those I need to forgive as you have forgiven me. To extend to others along the same lines that you've extended forgiveness to me. Physical provision, spiritual provision, and finally protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's not about, you know, I was so tempted to have another chocolate bun. It's not that. It's about being led into danger. It's about experiencing danger. In Numbers, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt and they're on the verge of going into the promised land. And Moses sends spies in to have a look and the 12 spies come back and they report on what they see in the promised land. And it's wonderful. They'd be able to make a great living there, but there is a problem. There are giants in the land. And so 10 of the Spies say we couldn't do that. There are giants in our experience of life. (laughs) There are circumstances that have the capacity, unless God helps us, to overturn our lives. There are things that threaten us, that intimidate us. And then there are things that will seduce us and lead us astray. Father, please would you protect me? Because I have to live in this world. The age to come hasn't broken in in all its fullness yet. The new creation hasn't come. I haven't got a resurrection body. So please would you protect me. That's what lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil is all about. Please would you provide protection for me. Would you provide for me physically, spiritually? Would you protect me? And how do we know he'll do it? How does the Lord's Prayer begin? Father. Father. That's how we know. And in Matthew's version, our Father in heaven, (laughs) he's powerful, isn't he? But the thing is, he's willing because he's our Father. And he's entrusted the kingdom to us. And as members of the kingdom, we are precious to him. He's our Father. 
And if an earthly father, Jesus said, would listen to his children, how much more would your Father in heaven listen to you and me? Some of you may have come this morning with real concerns about other people. You need to be reminded that God cares. And as you come to him and say, may your kingdom come, you're praying to your Father. Some of you have concerns about yourself, needs. They may be physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever they are. He cares. He's your Father. May your kingdom come. We're going to move into a time of prayer. And the way we're going to do it is this. There are some members of the prayer team who will be around. Please feel free to make use of them. And they're going to be up here at the front, and you can come to one of them or a couple of them and say, please, would you pray for me? You can give as much information as you want or as little. We, we will pray for you. Some of you may want to stay in your seats and pray. It may be that you'd like to turn to the person next to you, if you know them, and say, can I pray for you? Or turn to the next person and say, please, would you pray for me? Because we want to turn to prayer. Could I ask you, there is going to be tea and coffee out there. Can you hold your conversations until you go out there? And we'll use this space for prayer. We're going to pray, may your kingdom come. And I want to encourage you to do that in the area that God has prompted you, for the people that God is prompting you to pray that for yourself as well. May your kingdom come.